1: but you will hear the expert thoughts and opinions of some of our real estate agents at Boston Connect Real Estate and the preferred professionals that we trust. Be part of our roundtable. If you have any questions during the show, please call 781-837-4900. We'd love to talk real estate. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever you listen to podcasts at Talk Real Estate Roundtable. If you would like a one-on-one consultation with me and my team or one of the dedicated agents at Boston Connect Real Estate to discuss your real estate needs, you can connect with us at bostonconnect.com or 781-826-8000. Now, sit back, relax, take good notes, and let's talk real estate. Hello to all my South Shore neighbors. This is Sharon McNamara, and you are, of course, listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable here on WATD. Uh, we are also streaming live on Facebook, but you're not going to see it because this is a Saturday show. It's pre-recorded, but if you want to see it and watch it, you can go back uh, into our Facebook feed and find that I have my sidekick with me today. Hello, hello, hello,
2: hello. Hi. I don't. Even, I
1: don't even have to say your name. I'm just going to call you Melissa. It's almost like you're Madonna. Like you, you only need oh. the one name. That's how. I mean, you have callers call you on your cell phone I do
2: yeah (laughs) long time listener first time caller to my cell phone (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got some fans. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, we have a special guest
1: with us uh, today, and I'm really excited about it. Um, this is going to be a really, really good topic. And I apologize in advance. This is pre recorded. But if you have any questions about this topic, feel free to text me because I am available. Uh, you just have to text me. I'm just not in town 781 294 4848. And I can always
2: get to our guest for you. But I think that this is going to be a good one. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, you have a new friend and you invited him on the show. So. I do. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're long
1: time friends now since this morning. <laughs>
2: uh, but you know what? I got to say, what a trooper. I literally reached out to
1: him this morning. Uh, as everybody knows, I talk about Clubhouse all the time. I'm trying to figure out a way to get this show on Clubhouse as well. Uh, so that's in the works, but um, he's, on the, he's an appraiser. I've listened to him in the past. I legitimately love his energy. He's from Atlanta, Georgia, but I could always tell he was a city guy at heart. Like I just knew there was a part of me that knew he was because city people, we all connect with each other. So um, he goes by Scap, but his name is Mark All hmm? right. right? Scaponets? Scaponets. <laughs> Mark yeah. Scaponets. You got it. You got it. Yeah. And I love like your tagline um, So on your website. So why don't you tell all of our WAT listeners a little bit about you and um, about your, I love your tagline. Just say it.
0: <laughs> well, my name is Mark Is Oh, actually, I'll do my whole clubhouse intro here for everybody. Okay. My name is Mark Skapanitz, and I am a certified residential real estate appraiser here in the Atlanta, Georgia area. I am also president of the American Guild of Appraisers out of Washington, D.C. I've been a real estate appraiser since about 2003, where I started my career in New Jersey. Yes, I'm a Jersey guy. (laughs) I moved down south, and I opened up my own company, What's It Worth Appraisal Services, in the Atlanta metro area back in 2007, just before everything went to... Down the tubes. Yeah. So actually, it wasn't a bad you know a bad time to actually start it. But uh, you know, I've been living down here in Atlanta. I kind of service pretty much most of the metro area with residential real estate appraising. And I've gotten really involved with like yourself with Clubhouse. Um, I I run my own uh, two Facebook groups for real estate appraisers for independent real estate appraisers, and then the other one is for. Um, anybody looking to become an appraiser or is currently a trainee so that they can get the proper information and and get good guidance on where to go uh, to get into the profession. And I started my own podcast. I also started my own blog page. It's called Scout the Appraiser. Mm -hmm. And my tagline is is appraising the real issues. Mm -hmm. That's what my tagline is. Uh, It's just kind of something I came up with because I just saw so much misinformation out there. And I saw a lot of other podcasts and a lot of other people out there just providing the same old boring stuff, you know, the same stuff out there uh, about the appraisal profession. But I wanted to take it another step further and get into not just appraisers. I want to get it out to consumers. I want to get out to real estate agents. I want to get out to investors, policymakers. So I'm trying to keep it real per se and, and talk about the real issues out there and not just the same stuff that you can find on Google with a Google
1: search. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, I know one time I had listened to you on Clubhouse. You were at one of the rooms that we were in. And, um, I, I, you know, being in the business and the industry, as long as I have been for what over 21 years now, you can almost tell the people who know what they're talking about and the people who are faking what they're talking about. And I was like, he's the real deal. So you can even use that. You're the real deal with your um, appraising the real, you know, or dealing with the real issues there. So um, we're really excited to have you. Uh, Today's topic for all of our listeners, I thought it would be a really good topic to discuss, um, especially because we just went through this emotional wave of, you know, people just emotionally bidding on houses. And it was just crazy. We've been saying that the, the word that we've used is that it was reckless. In my opinion, it was reckless what was going on out there. But now we're sort of having in in our neck of the woods, I guess, we're having sort of a little difficult time sort of um, and giving houses a market of value because people and sellers seem to be stuck on that other number. And I know Mel, you and I had this conversation, was it last week? And I was just like, listen, <laughs>
2: Listen. Where's the market? Did I miss the market? Whoa. Did I miss the market? <laughs> no, you, no matter what day of the week, month, whatever, you're in a market. Mm-hmm. So you might have missed the last market, but you're in the current market. <laughs> so what does that mean? Exactly. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be talking about, you know, how you how you sort of yeah. differentiate the different values. So there's appraised value, which is why we have our guest on today. Mm-hmm. Um, market value, which is something that we've talked about recently a lot on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and how Sharon gets that market value um, and the assessed value?
1: Yeah, because I think that they're all three different numbers. Would you agree with that? And do would you prefer me call you Scap, or would you prefer I call you Mark?
0: Nah, call me Scap. That's fine. That's what everybody else calls me. I I might as well just keep it going. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Might as well keep it going. So, what do you do? You agree with that statement? You know, I I agree
0: with it, but I also have to disagree with one thing that you said. Is that you know that appraised value and market value are different, and and that might be in the sense of what agents and other people perceive, Mm -hmm. but what appraisers are doing is appraising for the market value of that home. So we're not just it's not just some separate number. I mean, you might get a separate number or different numbers from different appraisers. However, our job is to appraise that property for its current market value.
1: I need, a sni- I need a snippet of that Yeah, because that's what we have been trying to express to people because we're having the hard time yeah. with that
2: last six months of emotional value. Well, are you saying that because you're essentially looking at the same information and like you might come in a month or to after the real estate agent has done their analysis. So then you're now have, you have that, those two months or that one month of information that maybe the agent didn't have, correct?
0: Yeah, I mean, that is correct. But I mean, also in the same respect, I do, you know, when I'm doing um, any kind of, of appraisal for say, just say it's for a pre-listing that you have and you're, have, you're struggling with trying to come up with the price of, of what that is. You know, I'm going to come out there and, and I'm going to do my job and appraise it for what I believe to be the market value of that home in the current market as of that day. So, yes, you might have priced the home, say, two months ago, and now you finally get it under contract and say you had it for five hundred thousand. Well, I, I, the market could change. You know, obviously mm-hmm. it could have gone up, could it be it could still be the same. It could have gone down. However, I'm appraising it for the day that I'm actually out there inspecting the property, not as of the day that you actually priced it. So,
1: and maybe we should have kept the word because I had a, um, whatchamacallit, I had Julia, who is our administrative coordinator here in the office and works on our agenda, I had her change it because we call it a comparative market analysis. So with my analysis, we're looking at a lot of different things, not just the sold. And I know, Mark, we had a great, uh, I just called him Mark for some reason when I want to call him SCAP. Um, we had a great conversation earlier about that very, um issue of agents sometimes saying oh you know i looked at this house down the street it's on the market and that must be the value of my house um why don't we is there anything that you want to start with that you let me start that way
0: (laughs) You, you it's your show you just you go right along i'll follow
1: along and tag along as best i possibly can all right perfect all right so mel do you have some
2: tell questions there for him or I don't want to just step on your toes because no, I tend to God, talk too much. You know, you take the reins because I feel like I, this is not something that I'm privy to in our everyday no, every sort day. of, so, I got it. Yeah. You I take the reins.
1: So Let's go back and think about the last several months in the industry. And we put a house on the market, just to use round numbers, we put a house on the market for $500,000. We get 20 offers on that property and it ends up selling for $600,000, okay? When you're doing your appraisals now, are are you keeping in mind at all what that list price was or are you just looking at that sale price? Because that's emotional value. Right. So everybody's different. Not everybody is willing to pay a hundred thousand dollars more for our house. So what numbers are you looking at?
0: Well, first, I mean, I and, and I will preface this where I see a lot of people uh, and a lot of agents, especially during that last crazy market where they were actually listing a home and then they would get it under contract and they'd go and change that list price to think that they could fool the appraiser. Um, and. That's not true, because the appraisers, as appraisers, we have to analyze everything. So we have to go back and analyze the history of that sale, of the listing, of the comps, everything. So we're looking at everything. So we're going to see what you listed it at. We're going to see the price changes. We're going to see everything, and that's mm-hmm. part of our job is to look at that to analyze it. Now, in your question, you know, when you know you have it priced at five hundred thousand, and say I come in two weeks later uh, to come out and appraise that property. Again, I'm looking at the market value of that property. I am looking at all the factors, not just what's sold out there, not just what has actually uh, is listed out there. I'm looking at everything. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at pending sales. I'm looking at active, sale, active listings. I'm looking at the sold sales. And I'm looking... I'm looking at one to three months back or as, as early as maybe yesterday, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. looking at all of the data going back in time, obviously, or to current time. And I have to decipher it. I have to look at it. And go, okay, well, this sale, this is the sale here. This is a comp here. This is a comp here. And go through those comps, really, really analyze everything that I'm, that I'm looking at. While you may have somebody that actually offers way over what that this price is, again, I'm going to be the guy that's going to, well, as an appraiser, I should actually call you up as an agent. If you sold that property for $600,000 over or whatever, or whatever your contract is, I need to find out the details of that. I need to find out what what's going on with that sale. You know, everything else seems to be in line with this number. However, now you got this offer price or you got this, um, somebody offering this much on it. Did you have multiple offers on it? What were those multiple offers on it? You know, somebody that just comes in and says, I'm just going to offer $100,000 over everybody else. And you have, say, 25 offers on that. And most of them are in line with, say, you know, you listed at a 500 and most of them are in line at, say, 525, 530, 535, somewhere around in there. Well, that's kind of painting a picture that that's what most of the market participants are willing to pay for this property. And then you get somebody that comes out and says, oh, here, here's $100,000 over the list price wave everything appraisals contingencies everything out there well that's kind of what we call like an undue stimulus it's kind of like they're acting by their emotions
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know they' we can't appraise emotions you can't appraise motivations you can't you, you can't look at those as factors in what somebody is deciding to do. They may want that house much more badly than somebody else and they have the the ability to do it. So as appraisers, we really have to go in and and look at all the data that's out there for us, not just what's in front of us on MLS. Mm -hmm.
1: And that motivation, that's such a key point. And that's, you know, it's just so funny because sellers, I think sort of lost their mind in all of this thinking, you know, everybody, this is what I always say, scap, nobody has an ugly baby. So no matter whose house I go to, they think their house is better than somebody else's, right? (laughs) And, you know, they just wanted more and more and more. And I tried to explain to them, we don't know what the motivation is, why somebody would have let in our scenario here, gone a hundred thousand dollars over. But I mean, one, one instance could be this house abuts the person who bought it and now they can do a subdivision out back. So of course it was worth a hundred thousand dollars more to them. Right. Or you know what? This was my mother's house when she was a young child and emotionally, it means that much to me. So I'm willing to pay a hundred thousand dollars over for it. Right, I mean. Yeah,
0: and 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 we hear it all the time. You hear, uh, and I think a lot of people, you know, this is how they think that if one if one person's willing to pay that much for that property, then it's worth that much in the marketplace. Well, one person to me doesn't make a market. Okay, so you know, one person can do whatever they want, especially if they have their own money. If it's cash,
2: mm-hmm. they
0: could pay whatever they want for an asset. They're free to do that. But when you're borrowing somebody else's money, you know, they have a, they want to know what that that house is worth or what that asset is worth in the marketplace. So just to give you a, a quick little tidbit here. So appraisers use a definition of market value that might differ from what other agents and other people out there use, and they may not know about this. So I'll just, I'll just kind of read it to you a little bit and maybe okay. this will help. So Fannie Mae is who we do most of our appraisals for, okay? So we have to follow their rules, regulations, guidelines, but the definition of market value that an appraiser follows is this. It's the most probable Price which a property should bring in a competitive and open market under all conditions requisite to be a fair sale, the buyer and seller, each acting prudently, knowledgeably, and assuming the price is not affected by undue stimulus. Implicit in this definition is the the consummation of the sale as a specified date and the passing of title from seller to buyer conditions whereby the buyer and seller are typically motivated. Both parties are well-informed and advised and each is acting in what he or she considers his, his his or her own best interests. A reasonable time is allowed for exposure in the open market and payment is made in terms of cash, U.S. dollars and is unaffected by special or creative financing or sales concessions granted by anyone associated with the sale. So out of all that, the things I think that everybody needs to remember is these key words. the most probable <laughs> price a property should bring in a competitive and open market under all conditions requisite to fair sale. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's the big key in this, that a lot of people don't understand. They just think that if somebody offers one, you know, offers something that that's what it's worth and somebody accepts it. Well, go back to your Example of multiple offers, most people were offering in an, in one realm or one spectrum of that, and one person just came out of nowhere and said, here, I'm just going to give you this because I can.
1: And it's so funny because what I wrote down when you were given the definition is most probable price, because I think that that was the part that stood out to me right away. I mean, it was the first sentence that you said, but it was, (laughs) (laughs) it really was what the, you know, that came to mind. So what are you seeing like with the last six months? Let's just talk about this crazy market. Were all of your appraisers that you were appraisals that you were doing, were you seeing, were you having a hard time getting comps for these properties that you were trying to appraise? Were they coming in at the price or were they under?
0: I mean, there's, there, there's a mix there. Um, in the last couple of months, obviously the market shifted. We all know that. So it's mm-hmm. pretty much shifted everywhere. You know, prior to this last year, like we, uh, we t- discussed earlier there, you know, it was a mass craziness, you know, because of low interest rates and people were just had free money and they were just, you know, whatever. They just did care at that point now the market shifted obviously we're kind of getting back to that market that we had pre-pandemic where, you know, it's, everything's starting to be equal. You know, people, you know, buyers are not, don't have the upper hand. Sellers really don't have the upper hand. But I think a lot of what I'm seeing is there's a lot of people out there just still believing that they actually can get what that market was six, seven, eight, nine months ago.
1: Unrealistic
2: yeah. expectations. That's yeah. what
0: it's called. Unrealistic expectation therapy. Just slip <laughs> yeah, that be- That's what I, was, I call
2: it. I was curious to see if you were seeing that down there, because like we said, you're in Atlanta, correct um you know and we're we're on the south shore of massachusetts so mm-hmm. you know and, and i know that everything that's been happening the past couple of years especially during the pandemic has been happening sort of nationwide with real estate but it's it's interesting to hear firsthand from somebody who is in atlanta in another city um that that it, they're seeing sort of similar things that we saw and are currently seeing here
0: and and just to just to add to that to your question is I'm really not seeing, I mean, and it's really hard for me to say is I'm not really seeing things, you know, my appraisals are not, you know, typically appraising over. They're not typically appraising under. I, I'm like I said, I'm trying to appraise for market value. I don't believe that there's ever such thing as a low appraisal. I mean, it just depends on who's doing the appraisal, the market that they are in the facts, the data, and the information that they have to develop their professional opinion of value. So I don't believe that there's ever such thing as a low one. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, However, that's a good point, that is the value. The The problem wasn't that there was a low um, value, appraised value, it was a high offer.
0: Yeah, it could be that it was a high offer. It could be that the contract was, was, or the the listing was listed too high. So that's what we're seeing now is we're seeing a lot of listings coming down in price, coming mm-hmm. down, getting getting dropped in price multiple times, Because that unrealistic expectation of of homeowners thinking that they can get this high amount and people are still willing to pay for it, it's just not there. And you're also seeing now that with things turning, yeah, there's not a lot of sales out there. So I would say you know, a lot of people believe, yeah, you want to believe that the most recent sales are what's indicative of the market. And that really truly is. However, I could go back in time. I could look at historical data. I could look at things. To, to actually come up with what I'm looking at, but I don't really think that there's many, there, I don't think that the market's crashing or anything like that. I just think it is it is what it is right now and it's not what it was last year.
1: Yeah, and and rightfully so, it was reckless. I mean, that's how I feel. It was just out of control. I mean, this is normalization, right? Isn't that what everybody's been saying? It's yeah, this is normal. Yeah.
0: You call it it reckless. I I call it uh, an undue influenced market. And that was because you had COVID hit. And as the market was generally going well, COVID hit, put a halt to everything. Then you had another factor. The The federal government got involved and said, let's just drop interest rates to all time lows. Combine that with COVID. Now you've got businesses, corporations saying, look, we don't care where you go anymore. It's 2022. We don't need brick and mortar buildings. Go work remotely. You can do mm-hmm. your job just as well. Well, guess what? That just created a mass frenzy of people just saying, "I'm finally can get out of this expensive area I'm in. Sell my 1,000 square foot bungalow for 2.5 million and move to the <laughs> south and buy a buy a." 27,000 square foot home for,
1: you know, (laughs) $500,000.
0: So, you know, that's, that to me was not really a, a, a good market, a healthy market. Yeah. It was too many factors involved.
1: Absolutely. And that's one of the things now when I'm doing the, you know, the CMAs that I'm doing, I like to say, the numbers that we saw were artificially inflated by emotion. That's period, and that's just the way that it is. I know, Mel, you had a couple questions that you wanted to ask as well. Yeah,
2: I, I, these two questions popped into my head after you said, "Who is doing the appraiser appraisal?" So, um, my first question would be to sort of backtrack a little bit. So, you are an appraiser. You told our listeners that. How did you get into that? Is it difficult to become an appraiser? What are the requirements in order to be an appraiser? Is it you become an appraiser and you can appraise anything all over the country or is it specific to your area?
0: Well, first thing is, you know, obviously it's going to be state specific. You know, there's different um, licenses. There's a trainee license. There's a licensed appraiser. There's a certified appraiser, which which is what I am. And then there's certified general. Certified general appraisers mostly go into the commercial space and appraise commercial properties and they can go all over the place. Certified, which is what I'm at, is just below that. But I can only do residential properties, and I can do them up to a, a you know couple million dollars. You know, I could do those properties. Uh, licensed, you can only do up to a certain amount, um, and and you don't have the the qualifications of a certified appraiser. Now, to get into it, yeah, you have to look into your states. Each state may have their own different types of requirements. I think it, most of the time it's pretty general across the board for whatever state you're in. It's kind of a national type thing. Um, I think here in Georgia, it's twenty five hundred hours worth of of experience you got to get or um, and take classes. I think it's two hundred and some odd or. Two hundred and something hours or something you have to take as a trainee. Then you have to find a mentor after you pass oh. that. And yeah, <laughs> what then you have a to find
1: hours a... is a lot. I mean, what do you consider? What is one appraisal? I mean...
0: <laughs> uh, trust me, there's a lot that goes into appraising that a lot of people don't understand, and there's yeah, a lot of things like you that. have to abide by and learn. It's not just finding comps and magically coming up with numbers for adjustments. You have to learn how to do all this stuff, and you have to learn a lot of different rules, regulations. Uh, we go by something called USPAP, uh, the Uniform uh, Professional Standards of Appraisal Practice. And that's like our Bible. And there are very strict rules that you have to follow within the appraisal profession. So there are a lot of requirements. And then once you actually get through your trainee uh, period you, and you find a mentor and work for them for, I think it's typically like two, two years, you have to work under a mentor to learn your market, learn what you're doing, start signing appraisals. Um, then you can go take and sit down for your license exam or your certified exam and actually start to go off on your own. So there's a lot that goes into it.
1: And, you know, and rightfully so. I mean, and I'm surprised that real estate agents, our industry, the bar is so low to get in and to stay in that I feel maybe, maybe we should have more guidelines like that. I mean, 2,500 hours is a lot of hours, you know? I mean, do you have a shortage of, is there a shortage of appraisers?
0: All right, let's get to this question cuz I love this question. <laughs> that's the that's the narrative out there and you know what this brings up a very good point. Yes, appraisers are aging. Yes, uh they're they're is not as many as there were in the previous years, but there's many factors that most people don't understand why. A lot of people think that there's a barrier to get into the profession and they think it's because of all the requirements and they think it's because, you know, a lot of trainees can't find a mentor to take them on in order to get those experience hours. But there's factors that people don't know and those factors kind of started around 2007, 2008 when the crash hit we had our lovely um, attorney general up there in the state of New York, Mr. Andrew Cuomo, who, you know, actually, you know, got caught up with investments and stuff, and he created what was called the home valuation Code of Conduct, which overnight stripped every appraiser throughout the country, all of their clients, just gone, overnight. So every relationship we built gone and they were blaming appraisers for the crash and oh, they yeah. needed a barrier or a third party in between the lenders and the appraisers. I don't buy it, okay, that's it's just, I don't buy it. But this is what happened and they created what's now called the you know, appraisal management companies. Although mm-hmm. appraisal management companies have been around before that, but now they were put into the forefront and they create panels of appraisers. And once they started creating their panel of appraisers, a 23-year appraiser that's experienced like me in my area is now pretty much com- similarly compared to somebody who just got their license. Wow. And and they started, the way that AMCs would get paid is that they basically get paid a portion of the appraisal fee. So if you're paying $700 for an appraisal and you think, wow, that's how much an appraisal costs, I'll pay that. What you don't realize is that that AMC is either bidding it out to find a, a, a cheaper appraiser or... They're just sending it to an appraiser on their panel that may not even be in your area or may not even live locally,
1: which is very, very. That has happened to me in the past because it is it. It's like having somebody on there with blinders, and I almost choked one day when I saw somebody pull up to one that I knew it was going to probably be difficult to appraise, and um, they had like Rhode Island license plates on. And I know you can do both, but I was like, you're definitely not going to know the difference between this where I am here and you know, a house that is closer to the water.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for appraisers for many years was called geographical competency. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. And I, I cover about seven counties here in Georgia. They're really small. I can get around them very, very quickly, but I've taken the time to learn those areas. And and with the help of the internet and help of MLS systems, you can learn that pretty quickly and you can learn those markets. But, you know, if you're not doing a lot of work in them, you know, it's you're not going to learn it as quick. But what happened with these, with the AMC's being in place and everything, the shortage came from the fact that most appraisers, like myself, were not making the money or making, you know, good fees at the time. Um, but we were also being put under strict deadlines, and it just wasn't financially feasible for me to take on a trainee. You know, I don't have those relationships anymore, and you know, the AMC's. They don't really like, you know, a lot of these lenders out there as well, and some of these agencies, they won't allow trainees to go out there and inspect properties, you know? So why would I take on a, why am I going to take on a trainee doing lender work when that lender is specifically mm-hmm. saying, no, you can't have a trainee go off on their own out there and do that. Mm-hmm. Well, if they're, if, if I'm training you and after say six, seven months, I'm signing that report and I think you're eligible to do it, you should be able to go do it on your own. Mm-hmm. I still have to go out there with them. Well, oh. if I'm gonna go out there with them, I might as well just do it myself.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so like you can't divide and conquer, right? You you have to be there with them. So that's gonna be So difficult.
0: that's just another factor in why, you know, they think that there's a barrier or a shortage of appraisers. It's actually a shortage we we in the appraisal community call it a shortage of appraisers not willing to work for pennies on a dollar for AMCs. Plain and simple. Yeah.
1: So let me ask you this. So now we just—I I I always do this, right? Now it always becomes about me (laughs) because now I have questions Um, because it's very interesting. And I remember that time that you were talking about uh, when they changed all the guidelines. And I'll just let you know from the real estate perspective: this is what we were sort of hearing when that adjustment and change happened. Was okay, you know, you have you know the real estate agent refers her buyer client to her loan officer, then. The loan officer calls his brother-in-law, who's a, um, an appraiser, and says, hey, I need this to comp out at $600,000, and that that was the problem. That's, that's what we were hearing, that that's what the problem was, but I think there were probably bigger problems than, than that.
0: There were. I mean, I, I I remember those days of having lenders call me up and saying, hey, can you do a pencil check? Can you do a comp check? Or can, hey, can you uh, let me know if you can get extra money on this or extra value on it? You know, I remember those days. Yeah. But you have that in every profession out there. And, and with, with the way that things have gone in the appraisal profession, we have so many laws and regulations. We are one of the highest regulated professions out there. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize that. And and we are, we have to abide by use PAP, abide by state laws, federal laws, this law, that law. I mean, it is just insane what we actually have to abide by and, and what we have to do out there.
1: You know, it's so interesting because as a real estate agent, you know, we have state of Massachusetts laws, we have, you know, fair housing laws, we have, you know, that are on a federal line as well we have all those too but I don't see that anyone's policing any of it. I think that that's where maybe one of our problems are because we have a lot of rules and regulations just that not everybody is abiding by them. Mm-hmm. Let me like back up into my so what that's what it was that a little example I gave so now my understanding is is I as the real estate agent have my buyer client I refer my buyer client to my loan officer we got something under agreement the loan officer then goes to this, appraisal company the appraisal management company from there it's dispersed to the appraisers so are you do you have are you trying to build your relationships now with those amcs i think that's what you were saying right
0: there are i think 225 registered amcs in the state of georgia Mm -hmm. i work for two of them wow i i found it to be more lucrative to go the private route instead of working with the lender so That's another part of the shortage is because I don't work with all these AMCs and I'm not on their panels. So I don't see all the orders that come in and they may be right around my my backyard, Mm -hmm. but I've chosen not to do that because of my own various business reasons. And because of how this process works, I chose to start building my business two, almost three years ago towards the private work where I work with people like yourself, agents doing pre-listings, consulting, divorce cases, Mm -hmm. uh, litigation work you know, just market value appraisals for, for a homeowner just wanting to know what their house is worth. I measure homes and get paid for it. You know, so there's a lot of things that I built to get away from that because A, it's more lucrative for me. B, I have that relationships, uh, you know, business again, which I yeah. love so much. Instead of a faceless business, I'm actually building relationships again. and And that's what I like to do.
1: Yeah. And you know, it actually makes a lot of sense because I guess I never put much thought into it, but it definitely watered down that fee of, you know, if it was $700, it's watering it down by the time it gets to you and you are out there doing all the work and research, you know, you're going to town halls and you're pulling the jackets and you're doing all that, you know, to get all this information. And I don't think that anybody really thoroughly understands that. So I can see why you would want to go the private, the private route to do that. Um, and there are many times that I get people who will ask me to do you know an analysis for a divorce or for an estate and I was like well i I can do one for you like I can like a, but you really want an appraiser to do that so I do always refer out an appraiser to do that um, so I can see how that's actually more beneficial to you. Um,
2: Mel, did you have any other questions before I pop into some? I was just going to ask the question that we asked him off air. Yeah, um, when Mary was when Mary was here, uh, Mary was here a little bit ago and uh, <laughs> asked you a question of, you know, do you like or mind when you meet real estate agents at these properties and they have sort of their own um, their own where's the word comps comps. Um, and and sometimes I even heard that, like, some agents will bring in if they got multiple offers so they can, like, sort of say or like show you that, like, everyone was sort of in the same like, boat with going over asking and sort of um, justifying, yeah, justifying, yeah, it, yeah. justifying it, justifying um, it. Do you like that or um, do you sort of think that that's stepping over the bounds? I don't
0: I don't I don't think it's stepping over the bounds. I mean, your job as an agent is to do what's best for your buyer or seller you know your your job for your sellers is to get them the most money obviously you want and you want to support that so your job is to support your price and what you listed it for that's or whatever offer you took that's your job my job is to now go out and And do my job to support the market value. So I love when I get that information from agents because of the fact that it gets me in the mind of what you're thinking. It shows me what you're looking at and how you came up with that price instead of trying to guess. And I may use some of your comps and maybe they're good. I may look at your information and go, wow, way off base here. Okay, Okay. (laughs) This this is not good. (laughs) <laughs> but at least I at least if a reconsideration of value comes back or anything else comes back to me, I can at least go out there and prove and say, look, I looked at their information. I just didn't deem it to be worthy or deem it to be correct while they're supporting this higher price. I've got all this data here that shows it should be less, you mm-hmm. know, so, you know, that, that's why I like to get that information. I, it helps me out, but it helps me get in the mind of what you're thinking.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. I want to do some rapid fire stuff with you. Um, boom. Okay. So when people are adding in their contract and it ends up in the purchase and sales agreement that it's, you know, contingent upon um, or the appliances, washer, dryer, the, the living room set, the kitchen table, all these other items are included in the sale. How, what do you have to do with that? Like when you're seeing that on a purchase and sales agreement?
0: Personal property, I can't appraise personal property. I can appraise the, the 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 land and the home itself. That's going to be something you're going to have to determine because not every home includes all that stuff in a sale.
1: Yeah, and that's see, and that's let's talk a little bit about the problem with that. When we always say, well, you have to do an outside contract with that. We can't put
2: it into the purchase and sales agreement. Yeah. It's like I'm offering you that price because I'm getting all these personal properties, but we can't value the, those personal properties with the price, so but the I'm price sorry, will. come down lower. Right. Do you come across that a lot? You have to explain it to people. Yeah, here and there.
0: But I'll uh, I'll explain it in my report when I because we we do get the contract. You know, if we're doing a purchase, we, the appraisers get the contract to actually read over and see those types of things in there and read any stipulations or anything. So that's stuff I want to know. But I'll put it in my report that, hey, the the purchase price was based off of all this other stuff being included. However, that's personal property. Sorry.
1: All right. Here's some of my rapid fire things. Um, one is a pool. Does it give you, do you do anything with pools? Depends. Do you want quick answers? I want you to, I'm going to rapid fire questions, but you're going to answer. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: It, it depends. Depends on where you're located. Depends on, you know, your, your, your market. It depends on Lots of factors. Size. If it's typical for the area, it's typical for homes. If you live in a subdivision that has two pools already that you're paying an HOA for, is somebody going to actually pay more for your house because they're their own private pool? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. But it's you. You have to derive that from the market.
1: Okay. Perfect. Um, the other question I had. I don't know in your area, but I know you're from, you know, the New Jersey area too. So with a raised ranch split entry, you walk in the front door, you go down maybe five steps and you can go up five steps. Um, what, um, so that lower level, somebody puts a bedroom down there. Is that considered a bedroom?
0: It could be a, you can call it whatever you want. It just may not count as livable space. If it's typically, if it's below grade, it might be considered in your market area, an actual basement, even if half of it's below grade, it might be a basement and basements can be finished the way they want. You can call it a basement. It just may not add actual gross living area, which is your above grade area of the home, but it will add value if it's finished or, or not.
1: Okay. So that's like, cause that's a big question that we get here with these raised ranches that we have. And people are like, well, you know it's, you know, I have a walkout and I was like, it doesn't really matter to the appraiser for some reason or another. And that's in our area. So I don't know if it is where you are.
0: We we (laughs) call them terrace levels in the great state of Georgia. Well, that's what agents call them.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm going to use that because it sounds better. Don't you think a terrace level? It's, it makes it sound. No, a no, no don't, Forget,
0: forget I ever said that. Don't bring that. <laughs> don't bring that up north. Come on. I don't get <laughs> I don't it.
1: We're a little cooler than that. Um, yeah. So that is always a common question, but let's just say you are in a house and the basement is below grade and it is finished. What is the equation that you're giving or the, a percentage difference between, um, is, is it still considered living space if it's finished? Now, below grade
0: a basement's a basement it's a basement per ansi standards per fannie mae standards per all standards i wrote a blog on it on my on my page but it's actually considered a basement basement's add value whether they're finished or unfinished they still add value to a home now if they are finished Well, now you got to take it to the account of what's the quality of the finishes, how much of it is finished, because you see a lot of basements, especially up in the Northeast, you know, obviously from where I'm from up there as well, that your, your, your above grade area that you walk in on might have Granted, everything, marble floors, you know, beautiful crown molding. It's finished to the cheese, recessed lighting. Then you go to the basement, and what do you got? A drop ceiling with shag carpeting. I mean, hello.
1: I mean, <laughs> and music in the background, right? Yeah, <laughs> but that
0: basement is not finished to those standards. So obviously, lesser quality of a finished basement is going to determine uh, what its value is. And that's again, that's something that you have to extract from the marketplace, comparing basements to other homes that have basements to homes that don't have basements and kind of find out what what's the price of what's the value of an unfinished basement per square foot and what's the value of of the finishes um after after you get that so there's a lot that goes into it as well
1: okay you walk into a room and there is no closet is that considered a bedroom
0: could it be depends on what the size of the room is. I forget what the dimensions are. I think it's got to have five f- or five to seven foot ceilings. It's got to be something like a hundred square feet or don't, don't bank on this. I could actually send it to you so you can get it out to your yeah. listeners properly. Oh, I know
1: around here, it's 70 square feet of living space, a window and a door.
0: Yeah. So if it has a closet, how's closet, if it doesn't, you can still call it a bedroom. As long as it has ingress, egress has a door and you can get out to like the actual level ground. You're not jumping out the, you know, a full floor length or whatever, or have to climb up to get out the window or the window's too small. It's got to meet certain standards um, in order to be considered a bedroom.
1: A bedroom, yeah. We get that one all the time. Well, it doesn't have a closet, so we you can't count it as a bedroom. Yeah. No, no, that's not going to work. That's not to apply. That is a myth. Are you looking at when you're doing your analysis? And again, I always tell people, you know, the way that you're doing things are a lot more sophisticated than how I'm doing them, well, which I think, because I'm just looking, I'm looking in MLS. I'm looking at a sold property. I'm trying to compare apples to apples. So if I'm looking at a, you know, four-bedroom colonial, I'm going to appraise it to other four-bedroom colonials. Do you ever sort of sway away from that? Like, could you do a Cape with a Colonial?
0: Um, you typically want to stay with a Colonial. You, you want to stay as, as close as possible. Now, like ranch homes, I would compare a ranch and, and a, a Cape Cod, you know, together. You know, they're kind of very similar to a half story more. But I mean, I would if I if that's what I needed to do, I could use that as a principle of substitution. You know, you got to also keep in mind, if you don't have all those sales, what are other buyers looking at? What are other other types of homes they're looking at? So if they're looking at ranch homes and there's not a lot of them on, on the market, and then your buyers are also looking at Cape Cod's or looking at split levels, you can kind of get a gauge of maybe using the of substitution on that and say, okay, well, I can start a cook- to compare these together because this is what they're looking at maybe they're not looking at colonials because i don't want to go up steps or, or a lot of steps or something so there's lots of different ways you can gauge what to look at but i would definitely not do a ranch to a colonial or something of that nature and and also on top of that i will say and I, maybe i'll get maybe i'll get yelled at for this but here in the atlanta market i typically don't see a big difference between a three-bedroom home and a four bedroom home.
1: Oh, good. Thanks. That's a good one. Or a four bedroom
0: home to a five bedroom home. And here's why, because I'm already calculating the gross living area of the home. I'm including that in there. If you have a a 5,000 square foot above grade home that has five bedrooms and three bathrooms, and then you have another house. That's, you know, somewhat similar size, but it's only got four bedrooms and it's got, and it's got three bathrooms. Well, maybe at some point they make another bedroom out of it or something. They have the space to do so, but I don't see, I don't see the big difference between a four bedroom and five bedroom. I see it more in the size of the home, in the gross living area of the home. If I'm already computing for that, I could be considered double dipping by making an adjustment for an extra bedroom. You know, when it, maybe it's an office or that they, that we're calling it and then somebody makes it a bedroom. So Just to keep that in mind, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't see that in your markets.
1: Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad that you brought that up because it brought me back to when I do my uh, CMAs for my clients, I actually bring them into the office. I bring them live into MLS because I want to be able to show them everything I see. I don't want to just come to them with paper. I mean, I could potentially be giving them the top sales just to get a listing or the bottom sales to get a quick list, you know, quick sale. So I like for them to see everything with me. And we sort of go through all of them. And that comes up a lot where they're like, well, I have four bedrooms or, oh, well, that house has four bedrooms and I only have three. But I'll say, but, you know, square footage wise, you're 2,500 square feet and they're 2,500 square feet. So it just means that your three bedrooms are bigger than their four bedrooms. So- I'm glad that that's bathrooms will
0: be different. Yeah, bathrooms will definitely, uh, you know, I, I always make a see that there's an adjustment for bathrooms, the more bathrooms, the better, obviously, but mm-hmm. bedrooms, it just comes down to, you know, you, you see people that have a fi- buy a five bedroom house, and then they knock down a wall and make it one big, huge suite or something. So now it's a four bedroom home, you mm-hmm. know, so I, I don't see it, but again, it's market it's market driven. So look at your market and make sure you're comparing those things and and look at, hey, are four bedroom homes of this size selling the same as much as a five bedroom house of this size? And if that's true or very close, you can tell the difference that there, there may not be a big difference with it.
1: To all our WATA listeners, you are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable. I just sort of got way off track and went right by a half hour, you know, when we do our little commercials, but that's okay. Uh, We are in studio this morning um, with um, a very nice guest. He was very willing to come on like (laughs) last minute. So I really appreciate it. Uh, He goes by SCAP, but his name is. Mark, and I don't want to say it the wrong way. So, Scapinets. Scapinets. Yep, I have it right there. Scapinets. There you go. My my favorite people now. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. We have Mark Scapinets with us. Goes by Scap. Uh, He's from Atlanta, Georgia, but he is. Um, I don't know. I just I just sort of liked the way he spoke and I, he's right to the facts and he's good at what he does. And I can tell that from uh, right through Clubhouse. So I'm glad to have him as a guest today. Uh, we are pre-recorded. I want to mention that one other time to our WAT listeners. But if you have questions, I can get them to Mark. He's going to give his information at the end too, so you can reach right out to him as well. But you can always text me. I'm around. I'm just not in town right now to do this live. So 781-294-4848. That is my cell phone number. Text me, call me, do whatever you need to get your question over to me. And I'll make sure if it's for me, I'll answer it. And if it's for SCAP, I will certainly get that information over to him. Uh, so we'll be sure to make sure that SCAP gives you all of his information at the end of our show so you can reach out to him, um, even though he is not you know physically in our area. He is a wealth of knowledge and I'm sure that he'd be very willing to help you. And if you need an appraiser, I'm sure you must have a connection right to, to this area
0: i mean i do run a group of over four thousand independent appraisers across the country and i know a bunch of them from the northeast i have a bunch of really good ones so
1: perfect well i'm gonna have to get that list from you as well so uh because again i do see this a lot when it comes to divorce and when it comes to you know estate sales uh needing to refer people so um especially when i know that one of mine is like close to retirement so uh that would be great how about some final thoughts for our final minutes here, um, Scap? Like, what are what are some of the key things that maybe I didn't bring up that you would like our listeners to know, and you know, you can educate them on?
0: I think you know, for the most part, it's it's when it comes to appraisers. I know we touched on the different types of values, um, uh, you know, market value and that stuff. I, I want everybody to know this that whether it's for a pre-appraisal, whether it's for a refinance, whether it's for a purchase, you know, no matter what it is, real estate appraisers follow the same process. Okay. Our scope of work may change depending on what we're, you know, what the purpose of that appraisal is. Obviously, if it's an estate, I am doing some different stuff. If it's for a refinance, I'm doing different stuff. However, the process, the thought process, the way we do things, all the same, nothing Mm -hmm. changes. And some people out there will say, oh, well, you know, you get the purchase contract, you know, so, you know, the number already. Well, I know what you're purchasing it for, but that doesn't mean I'm going to agree with it. I know it doesn't mean (laughs) that I'm going to say that that's what it's actually worth in the marketplace because I have to do my job and follow the guidelines and laws and regulations. So the process is pretty much the same. The thought process is out there. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I would say that, For any of your listeners, especially if they're, you know, with with dealing with real estate agents and appraisers, I I just think everybody needs to kind of just do some more research, kind of just determine and look at who does what and and who who does what and how they do it. Agents do things differently than appraisers. Appraisers obviously do different things than agents do, but they can work hand in hand really well together, you know, if done properly, Um, you know, just don't get mad at the appraiser all the time. (laughs) No, just <laughs> I
1: have to tell you, we, th- this is like a little, maybe it isn't a secret, but the person that we are the nicest to in our industry, I mean, we're nice to everybody, but we're super, super nice to the appraiser. And do you know, you're the only person that can like call us and say, all right, I want to do the appraisal tomorrow at nine. And I'm like, okay, be there. Like, it doesn't even matter that it's, you know, <laughs> my, my grandmother's 80th birthday. I'll be there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So, um, well, my grandmother, that would be my mother actually. Um, so I, I, yes, we're always very very nice to our appraisers. Um, and, I,
0: and I think one thing we didn't touch on that I saw in, in in your in your notes that you sent over was, I think a lot of people need to understand the difference between an actual appraisal, you know, that I would do, mm-hmm. versus the tax assessor. Tax assessor is just doing a, they do what's called a mass appraisal out there. So. A lot of times they're not right. They're just using that as a guide to give you your tax assessment and kind of, you know, they may not be comparing homes the right mm-hmm. way and they don't know the inside condition of your home and things of that nature. So that's one side of, of the the tax assessor where they just, they're not
1: the same as us. Okay. Yeah, and they, they do two year prior sales is what they Yeah.
0: Do. And they have a specific date and they can, they have different ways, but they're using what they call a mass appraisal. They're not doing just a, an individual private appraisal or personal appraisal of, of your home to actually... Actually, come up with that value, um, and I think the other thing is along those lines with the with the mass appraisals and and appraisals that we do is that you 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 need to understand that the information comes pretty much from different places as well. You know, it, even though I may use tax records, I try not to use tax records because they're not right all the time. You know what appraiser measures a house for a reason because tax assessments are not always correct, and you see it listed in MLS a lot where the, the agent says the home is twenty seven hundred square feet. Then you get out there and measure it and go, wow, it's only thirteen hundred square feet above grade, and it's got a you know fourteen or fourteen hundred square feet above grade, and it's got a thirteen hundred square foot basement. You know, so they're wrong, you know, so that's why we just do our in-depth analysis. That's how we do things. Just, you know, you just got to kind of be patient with it and just realize that we're just trying to do the best we can.
1: And you're going to town hall and you're pulling some, you know, you're pulling the records and you're looking all of that. And there's two things I want to talk about right now. And I don't know which way to go because we have limited time, but um, I'll go with this one. Do you feel as if we're going to have sort of, I feel like we're, we're in a different place right now where the sale prices I'm looking at are based on that artificial inflated offer that somebody accepted, right? So that's the actual sale price on that house. But that is not where the buyer's head is anymore. And I just put another listing on the market and they were on with somebody else. And honestly, when I look at the sold comps, that's where the house should have been priced. But the buyers are saying, "Uh -uh." uh-uh. Now I looked at the list price of what the house, like instead of looking at the sold, I was looking at what the list price was based on, all right, well, when those agents put those on the market, they were looking six months back. And I did my analysis on that. So instead of this house being on the market for five, 69 where my comps were coming in at sold, I'm on at 499 and still not have an activity. So I'm wondering, like you're going to come in and appraise it. You're going to see a higher number than I feel the market is willing to bear right now. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, that could be fair.
0: I mean, again, I just have to, it just depends on what the data is out there and what what's currently out there and what I'm looking at. It also depends on the market trends. But again, in this market with higher interest rates, people who could have afforded that home, you know, seven months ago can no longer afford that home at that mm-hmm. price. So of course, Course, they're they're coming down and they're looking at different things that fit their price range. And that's why prices keep dropping and dropping and dropping because yeah. expectations are too high. Buyers' expectations are like at all-time lows now. Like we got the upper hand, we can bring this down to what we need. Mm-hmm. It's just a different market. And, and it just depends on the data. It depends on what has sold out there, where people are are actually putting their money to. And, and that's all we can do. You know, that's all we can do as appraisers, even as agents, is just look at the data, look at the trends and educate everybody as best we can.
1: All right. So I have a quick, just a quick story to tell you. It's not even a question or anything. So I had somebody who called me, uh, just wanted to get some information or some input from me or some, you know, he just wanted to bounce some stuff off the wall. Um, About five years ago, purchased a property. It was listed as a three unit um, property. And then he went to get a permit on it. And lo and behold, it ended up being a two unit property. How did that appraise? It, you know what I mean? Like, as a three unit property, if it's listed as, if you go, like, the first thing you go into town hall and it says right on there, two units like a two family, not a three family. How would that happen?
0: Either somebody didn't do their job correctly and mm-hmm. didn't really look at the information um, and, and pr- properly gather it. That's probably my guess, incompetence, I would think, because I look at everything and I've had similar situations where I've had to call it out and go, wait a minute here, this, this says per zoning and everything says it's only can be up to a duplex, but yet you're telling me this is a quadplex in here and I'd have to go back and look at the zoning, find out if it's grandfathered in, if it was a legal zoning now, if it's grandfathered in and it's non-conforming. There's lots of things. It may have, they could have changed those documents. Maybe the zoning when it was built was grandfathered in but Grandfather. now maybe they only allow it to be up to a two unit property so mm-hmm. we don't know until we actually look at that information and kind of see when things may have changed or again just kind of been incompetence
1: are you also looking at um, septic system like number of bedrooms and versus how many bedrooms they're saying so I'm marketing a four-bedroom house but it's a three-bedroom septic yeah
0: you got to take into account those things uh, okay. you have to really look at, at at that kind of data because again it's got to be permitted you got to look at all all the all the information you know especially when it comes to septics they want to know especially Fannie Mae or FHA at least FHA they want to know where that well is located where that septic is and they want to know if that septic system is utilized correctly or the right amount for that that home or typically in that market
1: oh, perfect now there is our music that means we are at our end <sighs> enough. Mark Skapanetz goes by Scap. Uh, you are just so wonderful to have here on our show with us today. Do you want to give out your number and your information for people to follow along with you?
0: Absolutely. You can give me a call or text me at 404-421-0055 if you, if you want to go that route. You can also reach me at WIW a p p at gmail.com which is my business email you can find me on instagram you can find me on facebook you can find me pretty much anywhere if you go to my website uh scaptheappraiser.net i've got some blogs out there it's got all my contact information as well it's uh, where my podcast could be found. So just put in Mark Scap, Scap, and it's, I'll pop up somewhere.
1: <laughs> yes, you will. Um, so thank you again so much. You have some great stuff on your website to all our listeners. I hope that you will go there. Of course, you can find us on bostonconnect.com and you can find us all our past shows on Talk Real Estate Roundtable on your podcast app or on our website. And we hope that you will join us on Tuesday. We'll be here live Tuesday night. Bye, Scap. We'll see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you.